0: So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com pockets. Fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.
1: eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED lights, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay guaranteed fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality.
0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to the 100th episode of On The Market. James, Jamil, Kathy, Henry, thank you all so much for being here, and congratulations on yet another milestone. I feel like we've had a few of these
2: recently.
3: Woohoo! Feels
2: pretty good. Yeah. I'm super excited. I can't, it went so fast. I feel like we're aging quickly. We're already at 100 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it really
0: has gone fast. And it's incredible also that James has had technical issues on 98 of those
4: episodes
0: <laughs> and is calling it from an iphone for this 100, 100 tries still hasn't gotten us there for our technical setup somehow practice does not make perfect <laughs> how many laptops
2: have you gone through in the process of recording this show and microphones legitimately i'm on my fourth one i'm just waiting for it to get put in i'm, I'm te- a technology killer
3: i think the problem is is that you don't like, microphones don't work well in yachts and airplanes, James. That's why. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's amazing when I don't leave my
2: office that mine just works all the time. It's quite easy.
5: <laughs> you know, maybe the the car that you live in, James, maybe you need to just put the studio in there. And
2: you know, at one point, I did have Mark Wahlberg gave me the inspiration to get me a mobile office at one point. Like, I was watching his documentary and I saw that he had an SUV converted suburb. It was a suburban converted into office. And I bought one the week later because I was so, and so I had one of those. Tra- I should just, I should get another one of those. We would roll around in traffic. and The
3: Sprinter, dude, get a Sprinter. They're, they're, I don't have one, but a friend of mine does. And, um, they're phenomenal, especially traveling around with the fam too. Like you can, if you can kind of modify it a little bit and put stuff away and make it like hang it out yet again. Do it. Maybe I'll have better technology than James's <laughs> office somehow. <laughs> All
0: right, so we're gonna do a fun little thing today in honor of our 100th episode. We are first gonna go around, and everyone, panelists, including myself, is gonna share their favorite episode of On the Market. And we would also really appreciate and love if you shared your favorite episode of On the Market with the people you think would be interested in this. We greatly appreciate you and. You all have been instrumental in helping us reach 100 episodes, and we would love if you shared it out on social media with your friends. And in exchange, we will pick one lucky winner who shares out an episode, and they will get a free coaching call with any panelist of their choice. All you got to do is share on social media, take a screenshot of that share, and then DM the Bigger Pockets Instagram account, and you will be entered to win a free coaching call with either Kathy, Henry, Jamil, James, or even myself. <laughs> everyone's like, oh, that's too bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well,
3: Jamil, you seem very excited to share
0: your favorite episode. So what was it?
3: Well, you know, interestingly enough, my favorite episode is the one I got to host. Yeah. Because it was fun. It was, it was, it was cool to be in the driver's seat and to see everything that goes behind, you know, managing who's going to talk and like what it's all, all about. But really, it was because I did win the debate at BPCon 2022. <laughs> um, and so I deserved it.
4: I mean, I think your definition of win is debatable, but <laughs> I'll allow it.
3: The audience spoke, Henry.
0: I think he just said he won loud enough, and we all oh. just went with it. Been, so. I think that's how I remember it. <laughs> that was good enough. <laughs> okay, whatever. All right, Henry, what about you? What's your favorite episode, Ben?
4: Uh, my favorite episode was episode number 62. It was called "Homebuyers Are Getting Crushed, Our Landlords, The Cause. I loved this episode because... We really had an honest conversation about landlords and owning rentals and buying real estate and the impact that's having on the common everyday person who wants to own real estate. And I think we really, if you haven't listened to it, you should, because I think you'd be surprised at some of the points of view um, that we all take. But it was more just a great discussion about um, being upfront and real about how we are, how investors do add value, and then being upfront and real about what we think it would take to solve some of the economic housing issues that our country is facing.
0: Yeah, that that was an excellent episode. And uh,
4: yeah, one of the cooler episodes we've
0: done and a little bit different, just talking more about some of the ethics and uh, around real estate investing. Um, So yeah, definitely love that one.
2: James, what about you? Well, this is an easy one for me because I am a diehard NFL fan and a Seahawks fan. Oh, of course. So it, <laughs> but not only was it because we we were interviewing NFL players, but mine is episode 76, Why NFL Players Are Buying Real Estate During a Recession or It Says Lifetime Income After the NFL. Um, we got to interview Cliff Averill, and Devon Kennard. And it was it wasn't just because we were interviewing NFL players it's because they were doing the thing on a daily basis. They are doing the same steps that every investors are doing. they were super disciplined and, it, and they were so articulate with what we were talking about. It was just by far my favorite episode. It, the, the hour went on like that. I think we should bring in Michael Jordan next,
4: So <laughs> I'm
0: going for Jordan. Do you, do you have a connection? Yeah, we, sure.
4: <laughs> <laughs> James just wants to talk to somebody on his financial level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's bored with us. I mean, if
0: you can get Michael Jordan, we will absolutely have him on the show and talk about whatever you and him want to talk right, about. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I would do my best to get Michael. I, I'm pretty sure... We got a shot. The jump man. That would that would be awesome. Uh, all right, Kathy, what about you?
5: Oh, there were so many, but I really liked show number 92. That's one of the deal shows. And it was just so interesting. It was live coaching with people doing real deals and getting different input from all of us. And we all had such different ideas and input because we come from different perspectives. So I loved it. I learned so much from the deal shows.
0: Awesome, yeah, those were very fun. if you guys didn 't listen to those, uh, we did two of them, one with residential properties and one with commercial properties, uh, just a couple of uh, weeks ago. So you should definitely go check those out if you haven 't already. My favorite episode, I had a really hard time choosing for this one, but I think it was uh, recently we had uh, Mark Zandi on to talk about Silicon Valley Bank and It was a great episode, but it was also just sort of surreal for me because if you're a nerd and an economist, Mark Sandy's like pretty famous. Um, (laughs) And I was like a little bit starstruck and I was like, how the hell did I get here? Like a, a year ago, I had never hosted a podcast before and now we're talking to people who I've been reading and following for years. And it really just is sort of a privilege to talk to all of you on a regular basis and the incredible guests that we get on this show. So. Thank you all so much for being a part of the show. Thank you all for listening. And we, again, encourage anyone listening to the episode right now to share their favorite episode of On The Market. Take a screenshot, send a DM to the Bigger Pockets Instagram account, and we will pick a winner to get a free coaching call. So we do have an actual episode for you today. We've, we've already recorded. It's a lot of fun. And we are going to be talking about some really interesting headlines impacting the world of real estate investing, um, some sort of controversial, I don't know if you'd say controversial, but there's a very good debate about these topics. Um, and I think you're going to learn a lot about some of the really important things that are Impacting investors around the country.
4: So, Dave, are you saying we're going to keep it hundred for the hundredth episode? <laughs> nice. Yes, exactly. Well done, Henry.
0: All right. Well, we've
1: got a we've got an episode title now. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com.
0: Our first headline today is about recent changes that came to the loan level Pricing Adjustments, also known as the LLPAs, for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And Before I ask you all questions about what's going on here, I just kind of want to explain a little bit about what's going on here. Every year, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which are basically managed by a government-backed entity, um, come out with new fee schedules, um, and it varies based on how much money you're taking out, the LTV, it varies based on the credit score, it depends varies whether you're doing a cash out refinance versus a purchase or a second home. There's basically all these different fees going on. And something happened that was pretty shocking, which is that fees for low credit score borrowers were decreased while fees for higher credit score borrowers went up. And this is very, very unusual. And I want to ask every, talk about this in just a second, but there has been some commentary that now the fees for low credit score buyers are actually lower, but that's not actually true. What happened is the changes, uh, were relatively new where the fees went up higher for high credit score borrowers, and they went down for low credit score borrowers. But just to be clear, your fees, total fees, are still lower if you are a high credit score borrower. Did, I, did that make sense to everyone? Kind of. <laughs> okay. So, anyway... Kathy, now I'm going to pick on you. What do you think of what's going on here?
5: Well, you know, the really the bigger issue is how do you get more renters to become homeowners? And, and I'm all for however that can happen. I'm a big proponent of that. Uh, I, I think there's other ways to do it that doesn't maybe hurt the, the, the person who spent their whole life really working on their FICO score, paying their bills on time and so forth. I, I would love personally to see something where lower income uh, you know, people and renters could get the education that they need to really understand the value of home ownership and how to take care of a home. I personally think a no money down program would be really good for, for high, uh, FICO score. Maybe they, maybe they're low income, but they pay their bills. Um, so I, there's other ways to address it. I don't know if this is my favorite, but if, if it, results in more low-income people and renters owning their home then I, I suppose that's that's a great thing that's a great thing as long as they can hold it as long as they can hold on
3: Dave I think for me the piece that's troublesome is that personal accountability right this this is attached to credit score not income so if we're if we're doing it by credit score then we should just rename this let's lose personal accountability because that's what this is really talking about, right? We, if your credit score is low, it's because you're not personally accountable to the way that you're managing your credit. If your credit is good, you're managing your credit, your, your financial situation. And people with low income can have great credit because I did. So when I had a low income, I had a great credit score. It had nothing to do with how much money I made. So I think we got to really like, take a look at the metric here and, and why the credit score and income are not the same, but like credit is your behavior, your income is your how much money you make that's maybe education level but your behavior that has to be accountability
4: yeah i mean i i hear you jamila you know when you talk directly about credit score sure it is it is related to personal accountability what what i what i don't like about this is kind of the way that it's being portrayed or put out there cuz it sounds like what it sounds like is is what we're saying is we want to penalize people who have made good decisions to help people who may have made poor financial decisions. But that's not how I view this. How I what, what I think they're trying to do is to give people who may be in a more difficult financial situation the opportunity to save some money or the opportunity to get into home ownership. Yes, they're tying it to credit score, but, but a lot of the times when policies or things like this come out, we we hear like, yeah, people made bad decisions, they shouldn't get a benefit but we don't always take into account the social or economic factors that might have put them in a place where they had to make financial decisions that may have put food on the table, but may not have been great for their credit, right? That's a privilege that that we as you know, people who earn a a great income don't have to think about. And so I'm all for trying to provide a better path to homeownership for people, I think The way it's being presented as we want to do this for you, but we're going to pay for it out of the pockets of people who have made better financial decisions probably isn't the best way to portray policy uh, like this. But uh, as a whole, I I I understand it, and it doesn't really bother me that much.
2: Yeah, and that's the issue is it kind of uh, incentivizes mediocrity, and that's I think the issue right now in general. It's like, well. You know, before it was like like well, I remember when I was 22 years old and I bought my first property. It was like you had to have good credit. And it was something you like were motivated to work on as a person and an individual. Like how do I get better credit? How do I get enough uh well back then there was a liar loan. So you didn't really need income. You just needed good credit. And um but it was you know, I think the issue I have with this is it just incentivizes mediocrity. Like people just are not going to want to have to push harder like owning a home is a privilege. It's you have to work hard. Everybody can do it. Um, And I I feel like the the how they structured this and how they rolled this out was just in the wrong way. There was a lot of other things that could have easily been implemented to to really help the lower. It's not because there's kind of two messages in here. It's like either low income or bad credit. Well, those aren't one in the same. Some people might have great credit and they are responsible and they take care of things, but they just don't make the money. So let's incentivize them with maybe assistant downpaying programs, uh, maybe ways to buy down the rates. That's where people will that will that will help move the needle in getting renters and homeowners, like Kathy said. But just in rewarding people that don't make payments is just a disaster. And I feel like it's going into this nasty cycle that will never end.
0: I think there's also a thing, though, just before we move on, that a lot of, at least when I was reading about this, proponent of this, say that it's not that necessarily people have bad credits, that they have no credit, Mm. too. It's really difficult for people to low income to establish credit in the first place because – you need money to take out a loan or qualify for that first loan. And um, something that I was reading about that they've done to help improve that, that I think makes a lot of sense is um, adding on-time rental payments to credit scores, um, Mm -hmm. which makes total sense to me. Like if you pay your rent on time, that should count towards your credit and then hopefully help you build towards your your future homeownership.
5: Absolutely. You know, that's what's been painful to see some people for years paying high rent where their mortgage payment could have been much less. I mean, that's why we own rental properties, right? Because usually there's cash flow and, and I would love to see more homeowners getting into that. So I, I couldn't agree more that your pay, if you pay your rent, that should absolutely count towards your credit.
0: For our second headline, I think uh, James, Kathy, and Jamil might have something to say here. Uh, we have a headline that reads, celebrities are fleeing L.A. due to a mansion tax, and I'm picking on all of you because you live in California. Uh, but what this is saying is that the L.A. City Council passed a new law that says that any home that sells between 5 to $10 million, there is an additional new 4% tax And any home that sells above $10 million has to pay 5.5% as a new quote-unquote mansion tax. James, how much is it going to cost when you sell your house? Well, that's why I remain a renter
2: in California. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you are. (laughs) I I, I believe in owning real estate in Washington State. But, um, you know, it's. I, I think what's happening is... You know, as you look at all these, there's a lot of West Coast cities or a lot of these metro cities, they're, they're trying to figure out how to get more affordable housing into the market, and that is taxing the wealthy, right? And I think, I think this is something that's going to be a big deal for six months, and then it's just going to kind of disappear. We saw the same thing happen in Washington State, where they actually, so when we sell a property, we have an excise tax or a transfer tax, and it used to be 1.78% every time you would sell a property. And so we pay a ton in buying and selling in taxes every year. And then what they did is they switched it to a tier to where if, if your property was, say, was below 250000 your actual tax went down to 1%. And then as you went above, higher and higher, it went all the way up to, I think, 3.1% when you went to sell. I think it was above 3 to $4 And it was a huge deal for about four to five months. And then it just becomes the new normal. It's because it's just a cost of doing business in that in those kind of deals. Now, for like me as an investor in the luxury market, if I'm looking at doing high end flips, that that's going to have some impact. When you're losing three to five percent or four to five percent off your bottom line, that is a huge deal. Uh, which could be a lot of the profit in that deal in general. So people are going to have to relook at deals, build in these these costs. But at the end of the day, I don't really have a problem with it. You know, it's it's just. Each city, each state can name what they want to uh, do. I have seen, you know, and I'm a capitalist. I, I, I believe in market growth, but we've seen these markets grow substantially in the last two years. And it, as long as they can take this tax revenue and actually put it somewhere good, I have no problems with it. Now, if they burn it, like sometimes tends to happen, that's going to be not good for the market in general. But I do think there's going to be impacts on people doing high-end flips. I, I think that there could be some impacts of people selling these properties but at the end of the day if you have 10 20 million dollar houses you're not really worried about the tax you've already paid so much in taxes you're just going to sell that same property i don't I don't think it's going to have that much actual impact in the market I think just California's policies in general are making people with money leave not the mansion tax
3: yeah I, mean, I think James made a ton of great points there and I, I'm actually for it I think that really if you look at the situation in California right now especially with the homeless situation there, if, if they take the money and they do something productive with it, I believe that, that there's a really good way that they could take this money and help a lot of people that are suffering in Los Angeles. It's hard. It's hard to live in Los Angeles. It really is. And so as long as, like James said, you're using that money towards the right things, I think that it's a great thing. Now, the other point to that, though, is like $4 million isn't a mansion in Los Angeles. That's 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 a thing. It's not. It's guys, look it up. It's not a man. It's like twenty four hundred square feet, but it's nice. So they got to get real about what's a mansion in LA versus not, because it's, it's like that's pretty dang middle class. I, I don't know, like upper middle class.
4: Sorry, Jamil, I'm one hundred percent with you. That is was my exact thought. Is because they it, the the way it's worded makes it sound like it impacts only the elite, but in California, that's just a regular person half the time and, so, <laughs> and like it, everybody, it, 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 unless you're super wealthy, like this economic conditions have been impacting you financially on some level. And so, yeah, it's the, this, this is, this is one I'm not a big fan of. I don't live in California anymore. And when I did, I didn't pay the bills. So like, it's interesting it, to think <laughs> about that. There could in theory be people
0: who like have a fairly regular income whose house is appreciated to that point. And yes, they have a ton of equity, but it could just be some normal people who have uh, enjoyed the the huge appreciation uh, that has gone on in in LA over the years. How many properties? I'm going to do this right now while we're talking about how many properties on the market right now do you think are for sale over four million, five million dollars in LA? Oh,
2: hundreds, like forty percent. LA is a pretty big area; it, it stretches away. But I mean. You gotta be I would think I bet it's
4: twenty five percent.
2: Yeah, twenty five, thirty percent.
4: Okay.
0: There are currently on Redfin there are five hundred and twenty eight homes in LA that are above five million dollars, and that's out of fifty uh fifty one hundred. So it's actually about ten percent of that are on the market right now. That's a fload. Ten percent crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it,
2: it, it, it's also four to five million. So how much is it if it's four to a million though? That's gonna get us closer to twenty. Uh
0: seven hundred and forty six. So yeah, it's like fifteen percent. Yeah. Yeah. Woo. I pulled up one for $44 That's a mansion. That's a mansion. I'm looking at this one. This one is sick. That thing is awesome. Anyway, all right. Anyone have anything else to say about this headline?
5: (laughs) Oh, definitely. I have a a lot to say about this headline. I'm really not too worried about the mansion tax. If you're talking about celebrities with $50 million dollars, Homes, it's not going to make that big a difference. And honestly, I think most people really want to see a change in LA. If they, if they're going to continue to live there and especially in a mansion, they'd like to be able to d- drive down the, the street and, and have it be safe and beautiful. And that's not, that's not how it is. So, um, there's a couple of real big issues with this tax. One is that within it was, was hidden that it's also commercial property and apartments. Oh. Now that will impact the situation a lot because with a celebrity selling a 50 million dollar house or a 10 million or whatever, the, the extra hundred few hundred thousand dollars in taxes isn't going to make the difference. But on a commercial property, it could. And on apartments, it could too. So all the while you're saying you want more affordable housing, you're making it less affordable with this tax by putting it on apartments. Mm. So that's that's a big problem I have with it right there. And, and um, second, it's kind of what you guys have all been saying, but I, I was born and raised in California. And I know that there's a mentality here that It's hard to change. Like, it really has to start with, with the education of Californians on how to take care of our homeless people. And and there's more, there's been more of a push to, you know, they have rights and absolutely they do. But are we taking care of them in the right way? And when we've really got evidence that most of the people on the streets have either mental illness or addiction issues, you can throw as much money at this as you want and as much affordable housing. It's not going to fix it. We already, we already Voted for 1.2 billion uh, to take care of it. And we ended up with, um, with a home, with studios and one bedroom apartments that cost 800000 to, to build for homeless. And we still have 41,000 homeless. So a few million dollars that we're going to make on this is just not going to, it's not going to help. The real issue is how do we help people with mental illness and with addiction issues and, and maybe not make it so easy to fuel that when, you know, this is a very controversial issue, but it goes much deeper than this. And I really don't have much faith that this mansion tax is going to help. I think it's going to hurt it.
0: Well, hopefully, I, I mean, I, I honestly don't know that much about it. I haven't been to LA in many years, but whether this or something else, hopefully, something will will help address the uh, terrible homeless situation that's going on there. All right, our next headline is about a startup that has been backed by some really high profile people, including Jeff Bezos and it allows you to buy fractional shares in real estate. It is called Arrived Homes, and it allows you to buy shares in single-family rental properties for as little as $100. Basically, investors can come and they can pick individual opportunities that they're interested in buying on, buying in. And it has attracted over 100,000 investors so far. It's been making a lot of news because, yes, Jeff Bezos and some other really high profile people have also um, invested in it. So it's been making news. So I'm curious. Henry, let's start with you. Would you invest in something like this?
4: Uh, Me personally, I I, I wouldn't, but only because I have an established business where I can I can source my own deals, and i I don't just invest for passive cash flow like i I invest for the the positive impacts it has on my community, and I get to see touch and feel those things. you know I, I don't really get that with a passive investment like this, but I am all for more avenues that make being smart and investing your money no matter at what level you're at, more accessible for people. Because the more accessible it is and the more education we can have out there for people to make smart financial decisions with their money, uh, I think you're going to start to see the wealth gap close. And, um, uh, you know, I just think it's of benefit. The only the only thing that you, you, you want to caution people is to, you know, make sure you truly vet these companies and these um, these funds that you're going to put money into just to make sure that you're not putting money into something that's going to go under and and take all your finances with it. There's a lot of, um, fine print that comes along with investing in these things. And I would, I would encourage anybody who's going to start throwing their hard earned money into something like this to just, Pay a real estate attorney to go read that documentation for you and let you know um, what true impact it's going to have to you from a uh, from a personal perspective, and that doesn't cost a ton of money to do.
3: I agree with Henry. I think you know once you get past that whole legal situation and make sure that you can that it's a good document and hasn't been written in a funky way, um, I think it's great because look, you might be able to take advantage of depreciation. You could, you know, you get uh, uh, other advantages. You get cash flow. There's things that are that come benefits that come with real estate beyond just just owning real estate right and saying i'm a real estate investor the thing is is that you know the average american right now is investing in their 401k or the stock market or you know it's both and and it i have no confidence there guess what i've never seen a a house go to zero i've never seen a house go to zero but i've seen companies go to zero i've never seen a house be a ponzi scheme but i've seen many companies be that. So I love this. I love the fact that we're giving people an opportunity to get into real estate at whatever level they are. It's accessibility. It's great. As long as that document's right, I'm all for it.
5: I just would caution people of the overhead and these types of things. There is so there's so many costs. I was just looking at Invitation Homes, which really, I, I don't know how it's really that different. You can invest in Invitation Homes as well, and they have rental properties, and their return was... Uh, Let's see, 0.26. Um, so like a quarter, <laughs> um, per share. I, you'd have to look it up, but the returns are really not that high. Uh, so if you're going to invest in real estate, I would just say really, do it yourself, if possible. Start with an FHA loan. You've got very little down. Rent out rooms. House hack. There's a lot of ways where you can make a much bigger return. With that said, the Reg A model is a model that any one of us could do. Any one of us could do something like this, where you it's expensive. It costs $50,000 or so to get a Reg A kind of um, fund going, but you can also do that and take a hundred or a thousand dollars from investors. There's so much management though of that paperwork and the payouts that again the overhead I think is going to eat up all the returns. Anyway, I I would say I don't know about investing in it. Invest in your own property. Do it yourself, if possible. That's you're gonna get a much better return that way.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of waste in those funds. Like I've seen it's I would say if you're a newer investor, I would stay clear from this personally. Because A, if you're a new investor, that your whole purpose is to grow your gunpowder, grow your liquidity. And if you stick a hundred bucks in a fund, that's gonna pay you a quarter percent. You're not gonna make anything. So grow that that liquidity. Uh, the next thing is they just there's so much waste in these funds that where it would be better. Like I, I think the concept of investing in a single family housing fund is a good idea. You just wanna make sure it's very segmented to one market so you get efficiencies in there. Because the more spread out they are, the more housing they are, the more liability and risk they have with construction, permits, leasing, and and systematic breakdowns. The more systematic breakdowns, the less the return. I would just, you know, focus on smaller markets. I don't see this going anywhere. Single-family homes across the nation is a nightmare. It's, I I would, you know, stick in, you got to stay in a geographical location. Because once you start spreading out from West Coast to East Coast, the I mean, I've seen these managers that are running these things. They are not running them efficiently.
5: Yeah, the big concern I have besides just someone investing is this is the plan. Uh-huh. You're going to see a lot more of this kind of institutional investing. They've already said they're probably going to get up to 40% of the rentals out there will be owned by institutional funds like this. So you know, don't sit around and wait to buy your share because it will get bought up by somebody else.
0: All right. Well, there, there, it is a, you know, if people don't have the money to put down on a, on a full home, um, it is, it is an option that you can get into real estate, but, um, like some people mentioned here, there are other options to getting into real estate. If you don't have a full down payment, um, you know, Fundrise, which is a sponsor of the show, full disclosure is an option. You can also buy REITs, for example, on, uh, publicly traded markets. So if you are interested and can't, you know, want to get into real estate, you can do it. Um, a little bit there. All right. For our last headline today, we have news coming from Colorado where there is a new bill coming out that is uh, proposing something called just cause evictions. This bill would allow tenants to have the opportunity to stay in their homes after their lease has ended. Basically, it would be on landlords to offer a renewal of the lease provided that the tenant has followed all the rules with quote unquote, substantially identical terms. Um, The landlords would be allowed to raise rates and raise rent in a quote unquote, again, reasonable sense. And if they fail to do so, renters could keep paying rent under the terms of the previous lease and would be protected from eviction. There's also a provision in there that if the tenant leaves or is forced to leave because the landlord either wants to move into the property, renovate it, demolish it, whatever, um, the landlord would be required to pay moving costs for the tenant, which would be up to two months of rent. So this is obviously, this is still proposed. This has not passed, but I think it brings up some really interesting questions about the relationships between landlords and tenants, and basically who is responsible for helping tenants stay in their homes and potentially relocate to new homes when they have to move?
5: You know, I don't really see a problem with this in the sense that if you're a landlord, you really should be treating your business like a business and you really should be renewing your leases. So what's the issue here? You know what I think it's trying to protect people from is suddenly not knowing where they're going to live. And so I I like the idea. It's like the landlord should be proactive and they should have a new lease and, and the tenant should know what, to expect. I, they, gave, they gave one example of a man who had lived there, you know, in the article, it uh, lived somewhere for 20 years and all of a sudden got booted. And, you know, we, d- we don't want to see more homelessness for sure. So I don't I don't have a problem with it personally.
4: I agree with you, Kathy. Um, I read this as, oh, look, they want landlords to be good landlords. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I think landlords get a bad rap, but you're supposed to run this business in a way that protects your tenants. Uh, and not in a way that causes harm to them, and so these are things you should be thinking about as a landlord anyway. You should be proactive about um what your rent raises are going to be, and when you're going to inform your tenants about that. You should uh understand when you might be looking to do a renovation or when you might be looking to sell a property. Now, I get it sometimes things come in uh things things change, right? Like this, the interest rates have changed. I have two properties right now where the interest rates have killed my cash flow and I'm going to sell those properties, but I'm not just going to put a tenant out with like five days notice, right? Because I've, because I've decided I'm going to sell those properties, right? I'm going to have to eat the cost of making sure that we, we um, give them the proper amount of time to locate and find a new place. So I think it's going to force, I think something like this would just force landlords to run a better Business and I'm okay with that.
2: So we've recently. I, I personally don't like this bill at all. I think I think what Henry and Kathy talked about is completely realistic. Or um, in in that, yes, landlords should have to run their business, and there should be a minimum uh, uh, notice of when people need to move out or vacate the property. The issue that we've had, like in the Pacific Northwest, is a bill starts like this, and then it evolves into this massive change which becomes very detrimental to landlords to the to the point where people don't even want to buy housing in 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 Seattle right now you know because we had very similar kind of processes going and then all of a sudden about 2 years ago they made it to where it, it just kind of evolved to where it wasn't just give the tenant notice of 60 days to vacate out we have to give them four notice four months notice to move out at that point and if they don't if they opt to move out we have to pay 2 to 3 months rent on the way out the door in addition to we can't raise their rent more than 10% and some of the in some of these properties are substantially below market rent we're not talking like they're 5 10% below they're 60 70% below market and not only that they're in properties that are very dangerous there's a lot of really old buildings in some of these cities that have old wiring, old plumbing, and they're not safe for tennis to be in. And we're dealing with this right now in Seattle, where we have 30 people in a building that is a fire hazard. It's such a fire hazard, insurance won't even give us insurance on the building. And we had to get it through a back door from the previous seller. And it, it and, But during this time, we're now dealing with 30 people that we have to move out and pay them four months rent. And so what this does is it starts to substantially erode the market, right? The first thing we had to do was offer that seller who had owned that building for 20 years substantially less money because we got to wait for a year to get through this process at this point. So it's driving pricing down on people that want to sell their property later. In addition to, it just kind of creates this, like all the people that we're moving out of there are very aware of this law and they are expecting this check immediately, so the issue is, is it just can get abused. And then all of a sudden it starts a snowball effect to where it starts locking the whole market and becomes very detrimental for sellers, for investors, landlords, and you lose all the power to where you don't want to buy property anymore. And what that's going to start doing is it's slowed down. These buildings that need a substantial amount of renovation are no longer getting buyers that are going to fix these properties. And we're going to have a bunch of old housing that's not safe. And you get stuck in this, this kind of just wheel, this slow grinding wheel. And so I am not a fan of this legislation at all. I think it it actually slows things down and makes it worse rather than improves.
3: I 100 percent agree with James in that perspective there, just because I've seen the same thing happen in Los Angeles, uh, especially with multifamily property. And so when you've got homes that are, uh, you know, apartments that have tenants in it that have been there for a long time and they do need substantial upgrades, they can't have it done. And and that's dangerous. It's dangerous for the people. It's dangerous for the neighbors. It's dangerous for the community. Um, there's got to be a better way to do it. I'm, I'm all for people being good landlords. But I think that they have to have look deeper into the situation and and give us just more opportunities for things like that. Like, how do we deal with this? How do we deal with upgrades? How do we deal with, you know, real, real situations that occur when um, you have these types of uh, you know, things needed in a
4: property? You know, to to wrap this up, I, I totally agree with points that James made and also with the point that Jamil just made. And I think it goes to show that like real estate is a symbiotic environment, right? What we do as investors affects tenants, what tenants do affect investors, what we all do affects our local city and the economy as a whole. And so making changes to something that one side or the other has to abide by affects everyone. And that's why I think it's so important that we all are involved in the conversations that are happening around making policy like this, because Jamil, you're absolutely right. I'm sure there are situations that are going to come up where if this was in in place here in Arkansas, where I would want to make a change to my property and feel like my hands are tied, and I can't run my business the way I want to. And that's probably in part due to the people making the laws are only thinking of either serving one party, or they don't understand those situations from landlords. And so we have to be more involved in going to city and community meetings and speaking up and asking for a voice, but not a voice to say only serve me, but a voice to say, how can we all work together? And that may mean that some parts of running my business gets a little uncomfortable for the benefit of the people who are paying the rents. And that's okay. But it's got to be all of us working together.
0: Well said. Yeah, I totally agree, Henry. I think that it's these types of policies have very good intentions in my mind, and it really comes down to the, the details because it's easy to look at this from one perspective and say like, oh, it's so easy, just like let people stay. Or if you're a landlord, you say like, oh, no, that you can never do that. But there probably is a, a way that you can help people stay in their homes and have mutual benefit for bo- both real estate investors and tenants alike, as long as those conversations are happening. All right, that's all we got today, everyone. We've done it. We have done 100 episodes now. Congratulations, everyone. If you like this episode, Please share it. This could be the one that you choose to share with everyone, screenshot and send a DM to the Bigger Pockets Instagram account. And we will also ask to please give us a review. If you have been listening to this show since the beginning, or if this is your very first time listening to On The Market, if you do appreciate the information and perspectives that you got here today, we would really be grateful if you gave us a review either on Apple or Spotify. It really does go a long way. For Kathy, Henry, James, and Jamil, I'm Dave Meyer, and we'll see you for episode 101. On the Market is created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kaylin Bennett. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Joel Esparza and Onyx Media. Research by Pooja Jindal. And a big thanks to the entire Bigger Pockets team. The content on the show on the market are opinions only. All listeners should independently verify data points, opinions, and investment strategies. And if you're ready to get into real estate investing game, you can still do that, or you can take your game to the next level by finding an investor-friendly agent. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in just a few minutes. You head over to biggerpockets.com deals, enter in some details about what you want, where you want to buy, and boom, you instantly get matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.